Hello, everyone, and welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. My name is Steve Sanye, and if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're a student-run podcast that talks about major issues in public health and how they are relevant to anyone, both in and out of the field of public health. Today, I'm excited to welcome Kate Florek to our podcast. Kate is the current director at The Landing, a new center for adults age 55 plus in downtown Wausau, Wisconsin. Kate is also a 2008 graduate from our college where she earned her MPH in policy and administration. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you for having me. So looking back on your path through the College of Public Health, what got you invested in policy and administration? Was there somewhere specific that you wanted to end up after you graduated? What, what was the driving focus for you? Yeah, actually, that's kind of an interesting story. And I definitely did not end up where I thought I was going to end up. But that's sometimes how life goes. Um, I took a few years off between undergraduate studies and graduate studies and lived in Berkeley, California. And I met a gentleman by the name of Johnny Spain. So I met a gentleman by the name of Johnny Spain, who um, for history buffs out there happened to be one of the San Quentin Six and got to know him quite well, did some some work with him for grassroots advocacy in the Bay Area, and really had a passion for um, mental health issues prior to even meeting him. And after getting to know him and his story a little bit more, my idea of what I wanted to do was to work in policy uh, affecting mental health in prisons. So looking at recidivism rates of people with mental illness, going back to jails and prisons, how do we um, affect change from a policy perspective, more so than a community perspective. I didn't really see myself working in community health in any capacity, but really trying to change things from, from government level. In a, in a nutshell, that was what I thought I was going to go to school for. And in reality, I've done very little with anything related to prisons, um, I guess, personally good, um, but professionally, it still it still remains a, a, an area of interest for me. How did you go from, because uh, I'm from the Bay Area as well, I uh, grew oh. up around those parts. And so how did you get from there to Iowa? Because I always feel like that's a very interesting transition from being West Coast to the Midwest. Sure. I, I actually grew up in Wausau, Wisconsin, where I am now. So I completed my undergraduate studies at the University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, a mere 30 minutes, 35 minutes from my hometown. When I completed those studies, my sister actually was just accepted into a graduate program at the University of California, Berkeley, and said, well, you don't know what you're doing with your life. So why don't you come and live with me in Berkeley, California? And I said, oh, heck yes, because I was a bit of a a rebel youth and uh, thought it would be great to go to a lot of hardcore and punk rock shows while I lived out in the Bay Area. Um, So I packed my bags and headed, headed out there and Had a wonderful time working at Blockbuster Video. That definitely dates me. I highly doubt there are very many video stores anymore, but uh, I worked there in an antique jewelry store and at a a ticketing office for some of the theaters in in San Francisco. Theater, theater, not, not cinema. So yeah, that's how I ended up out there. And then to get to Iowa, that was actually your question. Um, I uh, had some friends actually who were getting PhDs at the University of Iowa. And I thought, well, I'll apply there in addition to a few other places. Um, There was a professor at Iowa who is, I don't believe is working there any longer um, that I met with prior to um, starting my graduate studies who I had hoped to do some work with, specifically with prison mental health. And unfortunately that also did not pan out, but Iowa was still really good to me. I enjoyed it. I did my two years of study. And then I also spent three years in Des Moines after finishing my master's degree. 
that's a fantastic opportunity. I'm so glad that you're able to get the chance to come out to the West Coast because it is a fantastic place to be for that time period. And, and it really was wonderful to grow up around those parts. It, it is wonderful. Where are you from? I'm from Walnut Creek. So oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 45 minutes away. We're East Bay. Yeah. I grew up around those parts. And then um, I eventually I migrated up to Oregon because that's what the folks do for the most part is California is getting a little bit too busy. So sure. I migrated out to Oregon and then I eventually thought the same thing too. I was looking at going into a master's program and looking at different opportunities. And then I ended up talking with Dr. Kasky, you know, and he really was a key pivotal person for me to jump on the train and say, you know, why do I want to go to Iowa? And it was mm-hmm. an excellent experience. It still is. I've, I've got another term left. So I, better be engaged still. (laughs) I definitely agree with the plug for Brian. I think he's an excellent professor and an excellent human being. I would say um, after graduating was when I got to know Brian Brian more than I did, even though I took obviously his policy classes because with an MPH in policy, you kind of have to. But yeah, Brian's one of the the excellent people at Iowa. And I didn't know that he would be when when I signed up, but definitely enjoy him. That's definitely, I think the expectation that I had coming into was I wasn't sure about anything. You know, I I had no idea about who I would be aligned with when I got there or the interesting faculty that were presented to me. And on your end, when you're coming into this, right, you've got this idea about prison advocacy and the different, you know, reform situations there. And coming to Iowa, when you reflect on your experiences there, what specifically stood out to you? What did you come away with that really transitioned you to your focus now? Or what helped kind of move you in that area? What moved me from the prison issues to where I'm at now was honestly, first, just broadening. Okay, so is it, does it have to be prisons or is there something else about my interest? Um, more the vulnerable population, serving, having that mission um, driven piece of my job. And I was lucky enough for my internship to work with the, at the time, it was the Iowa Nebraska. Primary Care Association, now the states have separated. It's just the Iowa Primary Care Association. Although that's also a funny story. I had a a note from Dr. Atchison when he was the Dean of the College of Public Health saying, hey, I think you should do this internship with Senator Hatch, blah, blah, blah. And my head not really being an Iowan either was Orrin Hatch? Why are we doing anything with Utah? But he meant Jack Hatch, who was in the Iowa um, legislature. So you know, that was funny. I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll go to Utah for the summer, but I stayed. And in that internship, I got to do a lot of fun programming and projects specifically with um, some new funding that, that the Iowa Nebraska Primary Care Association had received from the state to administer different grant programs to the various safety net providers, local boards of public health, maternal child health agencies, et cetera, et cetera. So that was um, a really interesting and, and very hands-on, very dynamic internship that honestly, even now in my career, when I have the opportunity to have internships, I try to make sure that they're doing something that's really valuable to not only complete their education, but also to kind of maybe give them some ideas of this is what I thought I wanted to do. But yeah, we'll give you something in that range. But I'm going to push you a little bit into something that maybe you weren't so sure you wanted to do because you never know. And you never know what opportunities are going to present themselves after you graduate. So I did that internship and then I actually worked there um, after graduation. So my focus really shifted from prison specifically to vulnerable populations as a whole. Um, also, when I was at the University of Iowa, I did, I don't know if Kasky still does interdisciplinary aging thing. 
but I did that with him and my background from a very young age, my mother has always worked in, well, not always, she stopped eventually, but had always worked in long-term care. And then she was actually in um, post-acute care in a hospital setting as a vice president. So still with aging populations and my first job in my life at 16 was working in a nursing home. So I've always had an affinity with older populations and some of my career choices since leaving Iowa um, have been more with aging populations like my current job now. I think that's a really good point about coming in and not expecting, but being open to different opportunities. They had a very similar pattern where I came in with a background in occupational health and emergency medicine. It, it interacts a lot with the older uh, population and aging individuals and getting to go off of that was really an excellent opportunity because it is a, uh, I think an emerging area of interest, especially now with the pandemic, where we've seen a lot of disenfranchisement of older individuals and needing to make sure that there are the, the, the boundaries and the safety nets and, the, and the, the support for these individuals, especially since they don't get that same kind of attention, I think, that we used to pay to them. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, I appreciate, I appreciate that because I think it's a really interesting emerging area that I didn't expect to enter into. And I'm very glad that I have. And I don't know, you know what more your experience has been like. Was there something that really galvanized you to pay attention to the older adult population? Was there a light bulb that moment for you? I would, I would like to say that there is, but honestly, I don't know that there really was. Um, when I moved, when I left Iowa, I also worked at Iowa Medicaid for a brief stint. When they were expanding Iowa care into the federally qualified health centers, I was their policy person. I don't know, there was a title with that, but I don't remember what it was um, for a very short stint. And then I moved back home to, to Wassa and worked in the hospital systems doing grants and then administer, administering their community benefits program. It's that whole concept of not-for-profit hospitals should be doing things for their communities. And then at that time, um, an interesting opportunity to start a business with a couple other people was sort of like thrown in my lap. And I said, well, yes. I mean, it, there was a little bit more than that, but it, it was just a weird serendipitous um, experience. And it was working with long-term care facilities assisted living facilities, to some degree hospitals. And that kind of got me back into the more aging population. Um, that being said, because I've always had a, a, a mom and my mom and I have always been really close who's worked with aging populations, staying on top of and knowing things about social isolation and you know the silver tsunami um, and how we are so incredibly underprepared um, I think it's always sort of been in the background of my mind. And, and then at times, you know, in discussions with my mom and then starting that business, it's always kind of been there. More people need to care, really. I, I think the more that we can ad advance just what's happening in our society with not only the volume of people that are, are getting older, but some of the things that we don't talk about that these populations face and social isolation being one of them and how tremendously impactful it is not only for their lives, but then truly all of our lives, if you wanna just talk dollars and what it costs, um, people are sicker when they're socially isolated, even if they don't have any other underlying medical conditions. So, you know, hopefully we'll have a lot more young people who say, yeah, this could be a, a really cool career um, to explore. Our, our pyramid of, of aging will go from this to this. So we need as many people as we can to start caring about aging populations. Within that, that caring spectrum, and especially that social isolation piece, because it's been very difficult for folks to navigate during the pandemic, how does that translate into your journey now where you're at the landing? You know, from my understanding, this is an opportunity for individuals who are above the age of 55 and, and therefore able to 
connect with each other, able to, to congregate, engage in, you know, class supports and other things like that. How do you see that need being filled through this opportunity that you're a part of right now? That's a good question. Um, we actually did not even open our doors until October uh, 21st. I want to say the date was of last year. So we had only five months of operations under our belt when the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. um, we are a very interesting senior center because we are co-located inside of a YMCA in Wausau, um, which is really nice because a lot of centers that are you know, in existence for people over the age of 55 or 65 or whatever parameters they set also include a physical fitness component. We're lucky that the YMCA here in Wausau has two pools, multiple gyms. We have an exercise center that's very large on one end of our building. We're two city blocks. Like we're a very, very large facility. And then we also created a small um, exercise area for predominantly for the, the population that um, comes to the landing. Um, in those first five months, we had over 700 new memberships. I mean, we were really rocking and rolling. When the pandemic hit, you know, we definitely took a moment to say it was March let's close, <laughs> you know, like we serve the most vulnerable people. The Y itself stayed open for a little bit longer, um, but we, we did shut down right away. It was before um, St. Patrick's Day, I remember, because I'd already purchased all the food for our St. Patrick's Day celebration, but it's okay, we made it work. We did stay closed with pretty much no interaction for the first few months, but then starting in about the beginning of June, the first week of June, we started offering different ways for our members to continue to connect, not only with us, but with, with each other. So we have different programs, anything from a spiritual, spirituality class to uh, we work with a couple of different law firms here in town to discuss, you know, planning for long-term care, probate, administration, things like that, the non-fun stuff. We have, well, I mean, it's still fun, but we have those kinds of programs. We work with a couple of local artists to provide art classes. We weren't doing inside programming, but we did have some things outdoors when the weather was still amenable. Um, we had concerts outside. We do a lunch every Wednesday that people can pick up and a, a quart of soup and four pieces of bread on Fridays. And you can tell like there are some people who will stay a little bit longer, chat with us a little bit more. We do a coffee talk every Thursday where members can sign into Zoom. Um, we set up Zoom calls for members to talk to other members um, because we know that that social connectivity is so incredibly important. Um, when we were open, we had averaging here, but I would say at, at the downtown branch, we would have eight exercise classes and probably 15 other ways to connect either with crafts or arts or, a, you know, a formal education program. Um, we had music lessons. We had a, a choir that we were starting. I mean, it was a lot. We also had people coming in to play bridge, people coming in to play cribbage. We have a whole game room where we have two billiards tables, a ping pong table, a putting green. I mean, it's, it's a very dynamic place to be. That being said, I do, I do worry because technology can sometimes be a barrier, not only, not only because of an age thing, but also we're in a rural community. Um, my parents who are techno technologically savvy in their seventies, you know, they don't have the greatest internet connection. So that can become a barrier, not so much if it's a conversation like this, but if you're trying to do a music lesson or something like that, it can be a challenge. So um, as much as we can, and with the time that I have uh, available to me outside of just, you know, running the, the, the center, um, working with community members and city government and beyond to talk about some of those issues as well. You know, how do we position ourselves in the community, not just because of the pandemic, but Overall, how do we continue to advocate for um, senior members of our community and beyond? So the pandemic has definitely been a challenge, but we continue to offer 
um, all of our classes online. We have, I would say 15 a week total, including our exercise. So we've scaled back a little bit, um, but we, we do a lot. And then the lunches and the soups as well. That's fantastic to see that pipeline. I mean, it sounds awesome. You know, that this is a tremendous amount of support for folks, you know, even, and I can totally see the excitement building, right? Before the pandemic, all of these things coming together. And if, I'm sure that echoes for a lot of different folks everywhere, you know, the initiatives mm-hmm. that they had going. When you're looking at, you know, you talked about the connectivity aspect of things. In, in the educative sense, we are struggling to deal with Zoom constantly. You know, we, we're, we're frustrated having to be on Zoom meetings and tiresome and all those things, especially being so far into the pandemic. Do you see that replicated with your clientele that you're serving? Or are they able to navigate the technological issues of Zoom fairly well? I think it really depends. There's such a broad understanding, knowledge, adoption of just technology period with my population or my members specifically. Up until about four weeks ago, it was it was essentially me. I lost my assistant director right at, I, ooh, I lost her. Um, it sounds like she disappeared. Um, but she accepted a different position that just happened to coincide right with the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I had an intern for a while, full time. I actually hired her on part time. So it was the two of us trying to uh, make a go at all of this, including making all of these meals. And we do not have a commercial kitchen, I will have you know. Um, But I am in compliance with local public health ordinances because we only serve members. So we're good to go on that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just been, it's been interesting trying to keep up with everything. But one of the things that we we had when we were open that that was really popular was tech help. So I've tried to continue to offer tech help. And I get anything from, I can't find the emails that you send me. How do I search my trash to how do I change my name? So it looks different when I sign, when, when I send emails. I mean, it's, it's really anything to, I can't find your webpage. I mean, it's, it's the whole spectrum of technological know-how depending upon which member we're, we're talking about. And then some are just fine. You know, we have forms on our website. We have, um, they, you know, know how to use Zoom. So it's, it's almost a one-on-one individual. You just kind of got to take it and hopefully do the best to help people get connected if they're interested in getting connected. One of the really interesting things I've seen starting to develop now is folks connecting it through the library because of the rurality of things, right? There's a there's that digital divide that we see with accessing available or affordable broadband services and folks partnering with their local libraries. And I wonder, you know, has that evolved in the context of things in, in your community? Is Are you seeing that grow as a place for potential connection as well? Because I'm thinking about YMCA and libraries, and these are really common spaces for, for older individuals, but also low income or other individuals who may be less connected to congregate at. Is, is the community shifting towards these areas to get that social support and that connectivity support? Yeah, I mean, I think pre-pandemic especially, um, you also made me think, gosh, I should really contact all of the libraries, not so much the one in Wausau, because the one in Wausau is only a couple blocks away from us, um, but to see if if they are open, if they're allowing people to come in or what that looks like, because they could just use their computer, zoom in and come to some of our programming, and that would be excellent. Um, I think to go back pre-pandemic and you know post-pandemic, because it will end, mm-hmm. um, I think that's part of the reason why when the community here was discussing where do we have this quote unquote senior center that they chose the Y as a, as a partner, um, because we, we knew that the population that was growing most rapidly in the Y was people 55 and older. 
Um, so it's a natural place to say, we already know that there are people coming in. Um, we know that it's a fast growing population. We already have mechanisms in place for what we call here community supported memberships. Um, so we don't turn anyone away um, if they don't have the ability to pay for their membership. Um, so it was, it was a natural fit because it is a place where people, you know, it's a trusted resource in our community. The Y here has been around for, I would be lying if I told you how long, but a very long time, I would say at least a hundred years. I don't know. <laughs> I can fact check that later. <laughs> I think that's, yeah. I mean, you hit on a really good point of the, the, the trusted community organizations, which I think is huge now that we're seeing, especially when you're trying to deliver services amid a pandemic, amid everything else that is swirling around, whether it's in the media or other entities, folks really are looking for communal participation, communal assistance. Mm -hmm. And especially since we're, we're, thankfully we're seeing the vaccine kind of on the horizon. We're seeing things coming up eventually. What really would be the goal if you could hit the ground running, right? Post pandemic, where do you want this to kind of end up going? How do you see this evolving once kind of the dust settles and we're able to kind of start pushing it in new directions? I think just growing off of the success that we had pre-pandemic, I mean, we were such a young part of the organization, but we saw such a tremendous response from our community with very little um, outreach. One of the things that we are doing with the whole making lemonade out of lemons um, of the pandemic is trying to to grow our virtual oh capability expertise. Um, even though you know money is tight for a lot of organizations, we are investing in some better technology so that members who are connected with us virtually can have the best experience possible for what they're experiencing virtually. So I think that's definitely something that, you know, whether you're in Iowa City, you're in Berkeley, California, or you're in Wausau, Wisconsin, um, you could connect with the services that we provide here because it's really not just about our four walls. Um, however, if we can just hit the ground running and we don't have to worry about masks and distancing and all of those things, you know, we were lucky enough that towards the end of, or pre-pandemic towards the end of that time, we were uh, full. I mean, our facility, we would have to set up extra tables for people to have a meal with us. We would have to um, move, we have some movable wall um, areas for our, our learning spaces so that we could accommodate more people. Um, just continue with that success, continue, you know, create a good marketing strategy so that, you know, we can continue to reach more and more and more people in our community possibly those who aren't interested in the physical exercise component and know the why more for the why, but who really just want to connect with the landing for that social um, connection, the, the educational pieces, um, and just a, a place to, to be, a place to call home. I think those are the stories that touch me the most is the members that say, you know, it's just, it's a part of, it's part of who I am. It's a part of what I do. It's, I celebrate my holidays with you guys. I celebrate you know, everything. We get a lot of very touching notes from, from our members about that particular component of, of why we're here. I think back to the capacity component. I always think, you know, that's a good problem to have is that I've got to make more room at the table to fit folks in. It really is just a testament to the excitement around this idea. And I mean, like I said, you know, hearing you list off all those different things, I mean, man, if, if I was in that age category, that sounds fantastic to me. That's I know. I keep awesome. saying I'm excited to turn 55 so I can be a member <laughs> instead of a, a staff because <laughs> it's fun. And it's, yeah. it's actually what also makes the job itself a lot of fun is, is getting to, you know, at least coordinate some of the things that we do here. And I think that, you, you know, hits on the point of needing to dispel that idea. I think that 
some, maybe some younger generation folks or, you know, other folks may think, oh my gosh, growing old, uh, the, all the uncertainties that may come with it. But, you know, you're listing off the, the things that folks are still able to engage in. You know, those things don't go away at all. You, you can still invest in the health and well-being of yourself. You can still be sharp as a tack. I'm sure you've got many residents and folks who are there that are way up there and smarter than many of the other individuals. So, Oh, oh yeah, we do. You know, and I, I think, I think too, you, you, you touched on something that's really core to our mission, vision values here at the landing. We, we came up with some last July, you know, quick, we did the best we could and organizations are organic and ever changing and, and whatever. Um, and this, during this pandemic, um, even with being very slimly staffed, um, one of the things that I've been working on quite a bit is some business plans, some more strategic planning, things like that, to to take this opportunity to really get some of those foundational things that that did not get done prior to opening, and looking at how we can change our not change our vision, but really more clearly articulate it. And one of the things that I feel so strongly about is for so many people, in no matter what generation you're talking about, aging is this like icky sounding thing. You know, you get old, you get wrinkles, you lose your memory, you can't do as much. No, 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 no. If, if I had an ultimate dream for what the landing could be a part of, you know, obviously I don't think we can do it by ourselves, but if we could be a part of changing that paradigm and really showing that aging is, is such a dynamic and vibrant time of life, it isn't about what you lose. It's about what you gain. So that is definitely something I have a wonderful advisory committee that I get to work with um, monthly. Uh, our donor, we had a very, very generous donor help make this a reality. And I get to work with them pretty extensively as well. And, you know, building out some of these things and hearing, you know, getting the buy-in and hearing the excitement about, you know, it's not just about, I mean, it is like our core activities are what we do, but it's really about shifting that, that frame of mind. Aging is not icky. Aging is wonderful. We should all be so lucky, right? <laughs> There's something I was watching a very long time ago, and it was a bodybuilder, and he was around 67, and he was much more fit than the younger folks they're in his competition bracket. And it was just really inspiring to see this person come out there and you know really show that age is just a state of mind. He had you know, charisma. He was very excited about what he was able to do. He was able to keep up with folks. And I think you'll start to see that more and more as we kind of dismantle that artifice of age as a boogeyman, you know, age is something right. scary coming along and embracing that. Oh my gosh, I get to look forward to these really exciting experiences and live out the rest of my, you know, life doing things I enjoy. It gives me goosebumps. Honestly, it's, <laughs> It's not about dying. It's everybody dies. That's, that's a given, right? right? But it's not about this decline. Decline is no, I mean, it could be if you choose to whatever, but even if you lose certain capacities, cause we will, you know, that's part of life. It doesn't mean it's all gone. There's still many things that you can do. I think, I think that hits on that point. Yeah. That overarching, you know, the, the state of mind, that frame of perspective, you know, how you approach things. And I think that's the same, you know, regardless of where you are at life, how you approach things and your attitude towards it totally changes your perspective on it. It really you, does. When I, when I was looking over this, you know, you've had this opportunity that again, wasn't really expected. You've had all these different career path twists and turns and all those things. When you're looking at this trajectory throughout your career so far, what's one thing that you thought you knew, but were later wrong about? How long do we have <laughs> um, to, to not continue to beat the, the horse of, uh, you know, you think you're going to do one thing and then different doors open for you. I think the other thing that 
I would remind a younger professional is things take time and play the long game. It doesn't really matter what it is. Having a little more patience, working the relationships a little bit more. If you know in your heart and you have the evidence to support it, you're not going to probably get to make it happen any faster than it's going to happen. So play the long game, listen to other people. Um, you know, it, it, everything takes time. It doesn't matter having had the joy of working both for the government as well as for businesses of various sizes, things, things just take time. Be patient. Well, I mean, I was, I was wrong. Cause I always thought, gosh, why is this taking so long? And I was impatient and I really wanted to go. And I was excited about my idea. Or I was excited about the program I wanted to implement. And I was always frustrated. Like, why does this take so long? It just does. It just does. So play the long game. You'll, you'll be a lot happier if you do. That is, yeah, that's very much, I think the state of being for a lot of folks right now, especially when you have this uncertainty of the pandemic, right? And I want it to end. I want to be somewhere different. And it is what's happening right now. You know, yep. what, what is around me right now? What can I control right now? And that shift, it's very difficult to make, especially for our minds. But doing that, I think, really pays off. And it really ingrains you in the work that you are doing right in this moment. You know, why is this so important that I focus all my energy now? It'll pay off later. I won't, I don't get to know that part of the story, right? Plot twist. It'll come down the road, mm-hmm. but right now is really what's important here. And I think that's fantastic. Nah? And it can be as dumb as writing it down every night before you go to bed or telling your cat or your dog or your goldfish or whatever you have, but don't worry about months. You don't, it doesn't help. It does not help at all. Just worry about now. And if it's core to who you are, and if it's core to what you know is possible and feasible, just stay the course and be patient. This too shall pass. <laughs> this too shall pass. I love it. Thanks. I, you know, I want to be respectful of our time, but I mean, thanks so much for coming on today and chatting with us. You know, this has been an excellent insight into the opportunities that you've had across your career and also getting the chance to spotlight your work and also spotlight the issues of aging that we've talked about today and the, the positive perspective that we can all take as we go through this journey quite literally together onwards. So thanks for your time today, Kate. Absolutely. This was wonderful. I'm glad that you guys are doing this now at the University of Iowa and say hello to all of the professors. That's it for this week's episode of From the Front Row. Big thanks to our guest, Kate Florick, for coming on today. This episode was hosted, written, edited, and produced by Steve Sanye. You can find more about the University of Iowa College of Public Health on Facebook. Our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud as the University of Iowa College of Public Health. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Our team can be reached at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This episode was brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Keep on keeping on out there. Thank <music> you.